You're listening to Crusader Chronicles episode 62, featuring Amazing Spider-Man number 206 and X-Men number 135 from April 1980. Welcome to the 62nd episode of Crusader Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Pat, a.k.a. DJ Christatos. Crusader Chronicles is a podcast that will journal the comic book series read chronologically by their release date from my comic book collection, either in digital, in a trade, or from the many long boxes stashed away in my basement. Each episode will provide short recaps, reviews, and ratings for the issues for that release date. The goal is to keep me actively reading through my collection and having some fun along the way, talking about them with my friends and speaking about my friends. Let's see who's here with me today. We have the usual suspects. That is Jared Albrecht, a.k.a. The Probe, the yard sale artist. I am the yard sale artist, and uh, I have inherited godlike powers, and I'm turning on all three of you. Like turning us on, like we're supposed to be like excited yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, like I didn't mean to turn you on, like Robin yeah. Paul. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, LBC crew. I didn't mean to turn you on. <laughs> I had a whole bit where I was going to talk about eating a star. Like I'm going to go eat a giant star, and it was actually going to be revealed to be like Taco like a, Bell. But oh, or Hardee's like would have made more juniors because they have whatever. A, it is, yeah, Carl's Jr. Hardee's or Carl's Jr. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it through well. Um, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Fail bits. Fail bits. <laughs> Fail bit. Somebody save me. <laughs> well, let's see if your brother can save you. Jason, the Weasel Skull Albrecht, can you save the bits? I am Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, baby, I'm Phoenix. But, you know, I need to go on a diet, so I got to eat light. So if I'm going to eat light, I'm going to eat that star. Because it's like light. I get it. Yeah. Oh, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Light like a star because it. Mm, okay. Yeah, you did. I it, see. Jason. You got it. All right. Good job. All right. I, well. I have a lot of questions about that moment. A lot of questions about that. <laughs> we'll get to that. But speaking about getting to, let's get to Delvin the Dark Web Williams. How are you, Delvin? I'm great, Pat. And I, I was so great earlier. You know, in fact, you know, I beat up all my buddies and. Then I took a trip around the sun and blasted my way after creating a stargate. It really was just pre-energy, and I, I had to poop. It wasn't really as special as I thought it was in my mind. I like how all these bits are terrible, but they're still better than mine. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. You know what's interesting about all those bits is that they all about one comic. Yeah, they're all X-Bits. Nobody went uh, to Spider-Man. I, I, thought I like, assumed I assu- everybody I assu- was a Spider-Man. So no, I, no, I, I, have one, I have one coming. So I, oh, I, okay. I wanted to talk about X-Men, all so right. I, I wanted to leave Spidey alone. I'm like Jason. Like I just assumed one of the four of you was going to take the 
angry. I was going to do the dial it up and, you know, go crazy and, and get all violent and dial it back down joke. But I thought, no, you know, yeah, Jared's like, going to get that ahead. I, of me. I was going to leave it for somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the bit machine is just a little broken. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe what's going on here? We need to. That's probably what's happening right now. There's some machine that's sending us radio waves and it's like it's breaking our bits and we it's interfering our with our bits yeah we gotta fight through you know we just keep telling terrible bit after terrible bit and one of them's gonna be good <laughs> one of them we're gonna get through we'll do it you just we'll described the entirety of the show since inception <laughs> <laughs> facts correct yeah we are still yeah. waiting on a good bit so <laughs> which in fact is a good segue if you like one of the bits that we've had from over time, I wonder how someone could kind of call in and tell us about what's their favorite bit mm, that we've done. That. Yeah, I could have you know, because we'd want to know are, are our bits getting through, are mm-hmm. they not getting through? But if you wanted to do that, you could actually leave us a voicemail and we just might play it on the show. You can leave us a message at 707 532 5269. That's 707 532 Lbox. Pick up Pick the phone. Up the phone. I, I like the whisper now, Jared. It's my new yeah. thing. Yeah. It's, it's very seductive. It's like, I like right that. in your ear, too, especially when I got the headset on. It's like, oh, yeah. It's like, you know what? I think I'm just going to go to bed early, turn the lights down, lay on my lights pillow. Down low. Yeah. Turn just, the lights down low. No, no, baby. That's all right. I'm just going to listen to a little long box. Uh, <laughs> turn the lights down low. I'm about to take my shirt off, guys. <laughs> We need to quit talking like this. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta keep it. We gotta, we gotta show it. We gotta keep it So, if you want to leave us a voicemail, please do tell us what bit you like. But before we get started with this episode's issue, why don't we take a quick podcast promo break, and we will be right back. Hey, listen to Longbox Crusade. Welcome back from the break. Now let's get to the first featured comic for this episode. And it is Amazing Spider-Man number 206. The credits for this issue are provided by Mike's Amazing World of Comics website. Publisher was Marvel. Got a cover date of July 1980. But its on sale date was April 8th, 1980. Cover price is 40 cents. Editor is Dennis J. O'Neill. Writer is Roger Stern. Penciler, John L. Byrne. Inker is Gene Day. Letter is Diana Elbers. And colorist is George Russos. This is reprinted in Spider-Man Visionaries, Roger Stern, trade paperback, or The Essential Spider-Man, Volume 9. 
Otherwise, it's also in Spider-Man by Roger Stern Omnibus and Marvel Masterworks Volume 268 of Amazing Spider-Man Volume 20. And it's also on Marvel Unlimited. So we hope you're reading along with us as we go through. Cover credits go to the artist, Alan Milgram. And speaking about the cover, Jarrett, give us a little description of it. First of all, Al Milgram does such a great cover. You should probably, if at any time, any of the Long Box Crusade crew would like to giggle like a, like a high school or college-age girl in the background during this, feel free to. All right, here we go. The I Marvel- bet I know where this is going. <laughs> I bet you do. The Marvel Comics Group banner is bikini yellow with black letters, and Spider-Man is swinging like the swinger that he is in an erotic orange corner box. The Amazing Spider-Man logo is white with red highlights, and that includes the webs until someone takes them off. The main action shows. <laughs> it's so funny. I told you to do it. Maybe laugh. The main action shows Peter Parker absolutely uninhibited, wild, and uncensored at the office. He's kicking a coworker in the well-formed chest and swinging a chair, all sexy like. Coworkers I'm not, are scrambling. I'm not rewarding this. <laughs> Co-workers are scrambling and yearning for a cover. It's a hot scene. A cover blurb simply states, Peter Parker goes wild. Oh my God, I, I've never done this before. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Dalton. Oh, I mean, if that is a quote from the old commercial, I wouldn't remember. <laughs> How many commercials did you watch to get? God, that it came on like, USA after 10. Yeah, and I think Comedy Central. I just remember seeing that commercial a lot in college. In college, is like, okay, so people are out there paying like twenty dollars for a VHS of girls showing their boobie, and they're in college. It's an odd market. Look, <laughs> it, it was it was it was not the finest hour for me. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't, and yet I'm going to be honest with you. I just think that's just dumb. And after I spent, I think, how many tapes did I get? $60. I decided <laughs> this just needs to stop. You're like, hey, I've seen this one before. Seen- <laughs> <laughs> the, the plot kept blending together, you know. The writing was stale after a while. <laughs> well, thank you for that wild and wet. Ooh, hey, <laughs> hey, hey, hey. hey. <laughs> Cover description there. Family show. But let's go ahead and get some quick cover thoughts. And we'll start with Delvin. What's your thoughts on the cover? For some reason, I'm just not the craziest about Al Milgram. There is nothing wrong with this cover. And it's an accurate portrayal of something that happened in the book. He wanted to get a little spidey stuff in there. So I actually like that he had Peter Parker's face. And I like that they put the spider uh, banner in the background just so you can remember what, you know, who the main star of the book is, of course. And it, it's not a bad cover. I mean, heck, Robbie, boy, he looks like he is in trouble. Because I remember looking, I was like, is that Robbie? And yeah, it was definitely Robbie Robertson um, in that picture. And they even have Marla and, um, well, no, no glory appearance, but I, that's definitely Marla Madison and Robbie. So it's good. I'm just not crazy about Al Milgram, but it is good. Jared, what do you think? I I like it a lot, uh, more than I thought I would. You know, it's much harder to sell a Peter Parker cover than it is a Spidey cover. Kind of like you just mentioned, you kind of he did like the half face thing and then the Spidey in the background, like you mentioned. I like the black color at the top and then the brighter colors at the bottom to sort of bifurcate the cover, if you will. Oh. Anyways, <laughs> I was almost a little mad at it because when I saw the cover, I was like, "Oh man, Peter Parker loses his mind." There's more like. 
Everybody else lost their mind in the office besides Peter Parker. But you still got to sell the action, the fun. And as far as that went, I got to admit, it's not a Spidey awesome pose cover or a Green Goblin, but it has a certain amount. Like if I saw it on the spinner rack, I'd be like, I got to find out what's going on here. It has an intrigue that I like, Hmm. Jason. I agree with you. Although it didn't have Spider-Man on it. The first thing it made me do is go, wait, what is going on here? That was my legitimate first reaction. And it reminded me a little bit of uh, that movie Kingsman when like the whole like church turns against old boy. He has to beat the crap out of it. So I was like, is that what's going to happen here? And I kind of (laughs) was, you know, spoiler alert. But I thought it was really well drawn. It's busy. There's a lot of stuff on it, but it all seems to somehow work and fit well. So. Yeah, I think it was a really good effort, particularly for not having Spider-Man, having Peter Parker as opposed to Spider-Man uh, as the centerpiece of the cover. I'll let Pat wrap it up. Pat, can I, I steal a little time from you just for a second? I wanna, you can, uh, Jared, I yes. I want one thing. Of course. Okay. I'm done. Go ahead. Now it's your turn. <laughs> I'm just kidding. One thing that I forgot to point out that I thought was brilliant, and hopefully you weren't going to bring this up, Pat. I really like the typewriter. Because, as Delvin kind of pointed out, you kind of have to do a double take because Robbie Robertson's kind of upside down, looks like he got a broke neck, face full of fear. It's kind of hard to tell these Robert, Robbie Robertson, and it's kind of t- hard to tell that all these people are daily bugle people. In fact, when I first looked at it, I thought he was in like a restaurant, and then I saw the typewriter, and I went, oh, he's at the bugle. And I think that little detail made all the difference of placing where he was on the cover. So I just I forgot to mention that, and I wanted Good catch there, and you did take what I was going to say. I don't believe you. <laughs> I would have I said that regardless. <laughs> no, actually, I was going to say, I love that sweater that he's wearing. Yes, the Charlie Brown-ish yeah. sweater. <laughs> and he's wearing it in inside, inside too. So I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like Peter's got this cool looking sweater. He looks pretty hip, and I like that. But I like how they have it with his colors, the Spider-Man colors on it. So you can kind of see the Spider-Man kind of popping out on that as well with that half face. But I do like the background on the top with the dark and then you have the spider webs kind of ghoulishly kind of hanging out there like Mm -hmm. that i I dig that it looks pretty cool but i wasn't really sure what was going on with this either so it it did pull me in is it a good cover memorable cover maybe now that i've read it i might remember kind of what's happening but would it be one that i might remember down the road Eh, i don't know we'll see but with that let's go ahead and get into the cover rating We have a one through five cover rating here for Crusader Chronicles. Five is you loved it. It tickled your tummy feathers. Four, you really liked it. Three, liked it. Two, didn't like it. And one, you hated it. It ruffled your tummy feathers. Kind of got you mad and you were going to go wild like Petey Crazy Wild. (laughs) Like had a wild Peter. (laughs) Easy, easy. With that, let's go ahead and find out what we're going to rate this one. And we will start with Jason. I'm at a three. I think that it's a good cover, solidly drawn. Is it going on my wall? No way. But I don't think this one was really meant to be a hang-on-your-wall type cover. I think this is one that was meant to grab your attention. And that, it did. To me, it's memorable. It's good. That's where I'll leave it. Delvin. Oh, Jason. I'm with a three. I had to gauge as like high three, but it is a three. So yeah, nothing more to be said. What about you, Jared? 
Well, if you guys were hoping for a threes company, I'm going to ruin it because I'm giving it a four. I really like the cover. I think it has a lot of energy. And I think I'm highly rewarding of those covers that intrigue me. Like you said, I see that in the, on the spinner rack. And I'm like, I got to know more. So I'm giving it a four. Typewriter bumped it up for you. Typewriter bumped it up for me. <laughs> Ding! Well, I'm with the other guys here. I'm a three. So we got three for three's company. Four. I liked it. What can I say? Yeah, which is odd. I, I, I find that kind of. Some things just fit my wheelhouse, just yeah. like the niche. Yeah, we're finding what your wheelhouse is. You got, you got a little different openings in your wheelhouse. Seems like it's growing. It's a three for me. So with that, why don't we get into the story synopsis brought to you by Delvin. While attending a demonstration in radiology, high school student Peter Parker was bitten by a spider which had accidentally been exposed to radioactive rays. Through a miracle of science, Peter soon found that he had gained the spider's powers and had, in effect, become a human spider. A Spider-Man. Stanley presents The Amazing Spider-Man. The title of this book was A Method in His Madness. I picked up this device from a yard sale. It was labeled Crazy Harrow's Anger Beam. No way this thing works, right? Now let's try it on the lads. <laughs> hey, guys, I'm about to read the synopsis. Where's Jared? Uh, he said he's going to be late and we should start without him. All right, fair enough. We finally get a resolution to why J. Jonah Jameson has been acting so crazy. Jonas Harrow has been hitting him with basically a crazy beam for like a long time. Harrow has captured Jonah and is still using the beam, but this time on Robbie Robertson. You know what, Delvin? I've been noticing you playing Homescapes while we podcast. You need to cut that out. You need to shut your face. Wait, why are we arguing? Anyway... Harrow widens the beam and has all of the Daily Bugle fussing and fighting like Jerry Springer and Mari Povich had a big old baby. Nutty. Delvin, your podcasting skills are better than your fighting skills. Guess what? You're not that good a podcaster, Delvin. Oh, oh, you want to see how good at jiu-jitsu I am? Come here and find out. <laughs> this beating has been a long time coming in. Uh, no, what, what's going on? After Spidey saves the bugle from tearing each other apart, Harold tells Spidey the whole gig, and Spidey sets off in hot pursuit. Using willpower and guts, Spidey saves J. Jonah Jameson and puts a rightful beat down on Jonas Harrow, and oh, I get it now. Jared! What? Was it something I did? <laughs> Thank you, Delvin, for that synopsis. I don't think it was one of your best ones. Jared, is that thing still on? <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's go ahead and get to the brick or brack. Was it a first read or a reread? Jared. First read for me? Jason. First read. Delvin? It was a first read, Pat. <gasps> it's a first read for me, too. <laughs> oh, you know what that means. A it's a reading rainbow. <laughs> you gotta have that part. <laughs> <laughs> I always gotta have the boop, 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 boop. Oh, all right. Well, I'm so happy now. That made me happy from all that negativity just before. I'm, I'm so happy now. Speaking about being happy, let's get to some high lows and what does for this. 
And we'll start with Delvin. You got a high, low, or what, though? I'll give it a high because I do like how they wrapped up the whole J. Jonah Jameson thing and gave it a pretty logical conclusion. It's like, because he did. He just flipped the heck out about, I don't know, it's been about a year, year and a half real time. And so it was a good reason as to why Jameson would have flipped out like he did. And then they also gave Jonah a little bit of a compliment by saying, yeah, he has its quirks, but he's so dang stubborn that it makes for a very indomitable will. So it was a pretty decent shine on J. Jonah Jameson and a pretty good study of his character. Yeah, this one was really played out for a while. And me thinking and going back to what was going on with Jonah and all the different times that it was happening. And I like that. I think it was very good build up for it. Jason, what's your thoughts? Building on the J. Jonah Jameson theme a little bit here. My son and I just watched the first Spider-Man movie and he really mentioned there's that scene in there where a green goblin is choking him and trying to get him to give up. Who's the photographer that takes the pictures of Spider-Man and he won't give him up. You know, and and my son made a comment. He's like, that's kind of heroic. You know, that's that says a lot about J. Jonah Jameson. And I think that that struck me that really in spite of everything, he he is Spider-Man's greatest foe. But at the same time, he's got this core to him that that just kind of sings. And it was brought out in this comic book. I I laughed and yet I was kind of impressed by him as a character when they were like, he is too stubborn to go full crazy. Like no matter what this mad scientist guy does to him, he can dial that thing up to 11. He can't ultimately push J. Jonah Jameson fully over the edge because Jameson is just too stubborn. His superpower is his stubbornness. <laughs> and, That's a good way and, uh, and I really admired that. And like you, Delvin, I was glad they wrapped it up and I liked the mad scientist angle. And I like the fact that he didn't really go, you know, full bonkers, that he was manipulated into this. So I, I was really satisfied overall with the conclusion of the story and with J. Jonah Jameson's character. Jared, hello with the. I got highs for days on this. I'm going to glow this issue up. When I saw the new creative team, Stern and Burn, which is fun to say, I automatically thought, okay, sort of a one and done issue. There, there is a filler. It's off the shelf, something like that. And then I started reading the story and saw that it was connecting story elements from many issues ago, mm-hmm. like finishing the the, the Jameson thing, uh, connecting elements from things that we've read in the past. And man, you are going to get massive points for me if you're able to do something like that. If you're able to say, hey, oh, the whole time this was going on and all the seeds were there, you go back and read it and you'll see them. Yep. And this is the payoff. And I was so impressed and i got to wondering i said you know is um is stern starting an arc and i don't know what's going on i cheated and i looked ahead a little bit the creative team for the next issue is going to be completely different for the next issue is going to be completely different so i don't know what's going on in the amazing spider-man offices right now but there's something because the creative teams just keep changing and like i said a lot of times you get that sort of this thing going on where creative teams are changing and you can tell maybe the book's going to go in a new direction but they got to buy some time the quality of the book suffers. They become filler. And this was awesome. This was great. Even if it's filler, I can't even tell that it's filler. Like it's just, just weaves in so naturally with what we've seen. Excellent storytelling to Roger Stern. 
And I'll leave it at that for my round one. Very good. I think I'll agree with you on that, that it was something that was weaved through there. I and myself had to go, wait a minute, this guy, the hero, we've seen him before. And then they start telling us where we've seen him and who he was all in control. You know, he was controlling Will of the Wisp. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no wonder why Will of the Wisp was back again and all that. And I, but it was good. It, it put that together over and over as he was trying to get somebody to build up something to take down Spider-Man or just, you know, make the world crazy enough so he can take it over. And I like that. Delvin, do you got a, another high, lower what the for round two? I'll put it as a what the it could have fallen into silly spidey i can think of two things that just happened during the course of the book that could fall into silly spidey but since you mentioned this and jared started it i'll tie it in like here's a thought bubble from jonas harrow he says that wall crawling menace has thwarted me for too long my greatest recreated men hammerhead the kangaroo and willow the wisp i thought yeah he's putting together the sinister sucks <laughs> that's like that, that's 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 your best huh that, mm. somewhere even stagrounds like no sir <laughs> no sir <laughs> like i'd be i'd be mad too i don't know if i'd be mad at spidey i'd be mad at my like my teachers at the where i got my degree at evil college or something because those three suck <laughs> so, hey stagrounds you want to join my team <laughs> I have oh, scruples. <laughs> Standards. <laughs> so, yeah, um, it, it can fall into Silly Spidey or what the, but I, I do like overall, though, that Jonas had a, he had a pretty good scheme, you know, and he had been doing this, uh, the scheme behind the scenes for a while and it, it didn't pay off at the end, but it was a pretty smart scheme overall. So he gets credit for that, even though like the, recreated men or re, uh, that he made or whatever. Uh, they weren't so great. This is a better plan than those three combined, actually. Jason, hello. or what the? I'll go with another high. I liked how Stern was using Spider-Man's powers creatively. The Spider-Sense, we've talked about that, how different creators kind of use it loosely. Sometimes they turn it on. Sometimes they turn it off, power it up, power it down, whatever. But in this case, it turned out to be one of his best assets because he had to trust his spider sense to figure out what was going on. Mm -hmm. And I like that. And it seemed very plausible, very realistic, very within his power set. And he also talked about using his um, reflexes and endurance during that story, which isn't something we normally see. So Spider-Man was relying on powers outside of what we normally see Spider-Man use. And then it kind of summed up at the end when Harrow pulls the gun on him and Spider-Man just got laughs at him. Like, you really think you're the first chump to pull a gun on me? Like, that's not even a threat. And just to wrap it up, that panel from Burn of him just laying out Harrow was spectacular. I really enjoyed that whole sequence of events. Yeah, definitely. Um, the art in this was definitely nice to look at. Jarrett, do you have a high-low with the... I do. It's that the art in this is definitely nice to look at. Hmm. No, I was totally going to talk about the art, and I'm going to. I mean, John Byrne has been, for me, I get I'm the minority on this show. For me, the saving grace of the X-Men for the last dozen or so issues or whatever. Like, his art is awesome. And when I saw it, I'm like, holy crap, John Byrne on Spider-Man? 
all right, all right, all right. You know, let's go full speed. So my high in the second round is going to just be sort of like the Delvin, prepare yourself, come off mute. Culmination. Culmination. <laughs> of the art, the story, and the cover. The cover made me go, what's going on? This is bonkers. And then I opened it up and I went, oh my gosh, John Byrne. And then, oh my gosh, a brilliantly weaved story, but brilliantly woven, weaved, whatever, by Roger Stern. This thing is incredible. This is one of my favorite issues we've read. Guess what I'm going to score it? I'll tell you later. Mm. You're getting everybody going to get up. We'll see. We'll see. I, we'll see. I think it paid we'll off in, in ways that weird filler issues like this shouldn't pay off. I mean, yeah. we basically, uh, uh, apologies Sorry. to Keith Pollard, but I mean, I'm not going to mince words. We got an art upgrade. We did. And I also feel like we got a storytelling upgrade. It's just great. And, and uh, no slight on the folks that we had before. It just it just hit me in all the right spots. I would it, like to add, I'm going to pull a pat here and just say, I think Stern really demonstrated this respect for the character coming out of the, out of the gate. I love Stern's Avenger stuff. I go back to him. You know, so I mean, this guy is a very talented writer, but in this, and you brought it up, Jared, he was tying threads together from issues way back. And I think he paid more attention to detail to the plots woven by other creators than they did themselves in some cases. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. Definitely. This was a story that was well put together, had a final finale on it. And you're right, Jared. Was this a filler? It kind of seemed like possibly, but I think with just Stern writing it, it felt like a, a normal story and an ending for what was happening. Yeah. Again, Pat, I cheated a little bit and looked ahead and I, I've looked at, I think the next three and each of the next three has a completely different creative team, mm. different cover artists. Something's clearly going on in the Spidey offices. Like they're, they're gearing up for something. Okay. They're probably spending their wills for whatever the permanent creative team's going to be. Because you got the feeling, at, at, I got the feeling after 200, that Wolfman and Pollard were done with the yeah. book. Yeah. But then like in two and one hit, and it's like, oh, they're still here. Okay. I mean, I think it was a bad thing because Pollard, when he actually has time, produces great work. And Wolfman... Mm -hmm produced a very solid run of Amazing Spider-Man, but it was almost like, you know, they finished their set and then they did the encore mm -hmm. and then they just kept playing. And it's like, uh... <laughs> they were like, hey, can you do a Punisher book? Can you do a Dazzler book? You know, it was yeah. It's like my my feet hurt. Can can I go home now? Play <laughs> <laughs> the B-sides. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's what it was. So I think they're biding time. For whoever the new creative team, because I don't even remember. I do not remember this run of Amazing Spidey, so I don't know who that main creative team is going to be for the okay. next two, three years. I have no clue. I think it's interesting because knowing that it's going to be a couple different changes down the road, like Jared said, this is probably them putting the characters and pieces back to somewhat of a normalcy again, you know, because yes. we had Crazy Jonah. Yes going on we're like oh that guy's crazy and then robbie's getting crazy and it's just like there was a lot of just crazy stuff happening and now we know why because of hero there and you know all the crazy characters like willow the wisp and hammer oh, oh what did he do for hammerhead i don't how did, i still don't understand that one 
Hammerhead has an enormous, like, big freaking metal yeah, head. Yeah, but he was Ghost Hammerhead way back then, wasn't he? I think they're implying that he that Harrow created Hammerhead originally. Oh, Correct. Okay. Gave Correct. him a big head. Yeah, I mean, yes. what else are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> I want to jump in one more time and, and do some glow up for John Byrne. Go back and flip through these pages. And especially once he gets to, even before he gets to Harrow's, look at some of the backgrounds of the city. Then he gets to Harrow's and look at all the tech he's drawing. I forget who the inker on this book is, but I guarantee you as an inker myself, when you see all that tech, you're like, son of a bitch. Because it's a pain in the butt to ink all that stuff. What struck me is Burns on X-Men right now. He basically did this in his spare time and look at the not cutting corners that he did. I'm impressed as heck. The, the only thing that I, the only slide I'll give him is you can tell he's not comfortable with Spidey yet. He doesn't have a grip on Spidey totally, but he makes up for it with just detail work in the backgrounds a lot. It's just yeah, wow, beautiful. Yeah, Burn oh, is like oh. like turning out magic over on the X Men, and then he's like, oh, by the way, I just pooped out the Spider Man issue that looks incredible. <laughs> for what it's worth, uh, it said it lists John Byrne and Gene Day as the artists. So mm, interesting. Know, a little bit of burn, a little bit of day. And, and at this point, like, no one is going to blame John Byrne. It's like, oh, really? You couldn't lay down full pencils, Byrne? <laughs> no, no. Because <laughs> he already put out X-Men. So that he had time to do another flagship book. Yeah. That is that is very impressive. <laughs> if I was Gene Day, I would have been like, okay, that computer bank is a black wall. <laughs> and <laughs> that turbine engine is a solid black turbine engine. <laughs> But they put the effort in. And when you saw that cover, you're thinking like, oh, man, is this going to, what's this going to be like on the inside? But it definitely paid off on the inside with the artwork along with the story. Let's find out the silly Spidey moment. We'll start with Jared. What's your silly Spidey for this issue? Uh, Jason mentioned it before. Harold Point pulling the gun on him. (laughs) And Spidey, like, I think they, I don't know if I'm stealing the exact phrase of the book, but like literally in the blink of an eye, I was like, no. No, that doesn't work. <laughs> that it wasn't even a quip or anything. It was just like, seriously, bro. <laughs> and it made me laugh. So yeah, Harold trying to pull a gun on my man Spider Man. Delvin, what's your silly Spidey? Yeah, the other thing that just happened in the story that I found just hilarious was Spidey. I mean, in his Spidey sense, he's like, all right, this is a huge thing that takes a huge amount of power. So okay, I, I'm going to take out this turbine first. He took out the turbine. It's like, all right, looks like it's going to oscillate in between the turbines. And so he eventually had to go to another plan. <laughs> Meanwhile, J. Jonah Jameson <laughs> musters up all the courage to like pull out like a, a wall plug for like a fan or something. Answering <laughs> machine. Answering machine. Yeah. Answering machine. <laughs> it thought that he shut down the whole operation. <laughs> <laughs> That is hilarious. That is so freaking funny. So yeah, that's my silly spider. And again, it's that burn, that burn art that sells it. Cause that just that smug look on his face as he's holding that <laughs> plug. He's like, I have the biggest <laughs> in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was actually doing it too. I'm like following this along. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> all this buildup and all he had to do was just unplug that little. <laughs> I know I've been waxing Burns' car too, but Jason mentioned that panel. Look how good that panel's drawn. Look at the lighting in that panel with 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 Jameson looking so proud of himself makes it funny. But just the art in it is like, God dang, that tiny little panel is just incredible. I like the art in this book. Yeah, Jason, what's your silly spidey? I'm going back to the scene where the fight's starting to break out 
in the Daily Bugle, and specifically between Robbie and uh, Marla. And somewhere Marla gets like a freaking Bowie knife. <laughs> and she's like, I'm going to cut you, man. And I'm just like, where did you get that? Like, do you carry that around in case you have to raid a frigate? At some I point? think it is a letter opener. But it's like a really big letter opener. <laughs> He's like, ABC, Jason, always be carrying, son. <laughs> she was packing and not going to mess around with Robbie. And then Robbie's like, you come at me with that. I'm going to slap you like you're hosting the Oscars, man. It's this, this two are just about to go at it. Keep Marla's name. out. You know what? Never mind. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been done. Good follow-up joke, though. Good joke. Though. Well, mine was just going to be the Jonah unplugging it, too, and just that look on his face. It, it was pretty good. There was a lot of decent dialect that was in this one as well too and a, and a lot of good character moments i think as well and i don't think there was it was half and half peter and half and half spidey in this one so i think it really paid off on this did a well-rounded job of filling it all out with that let's go ahead and get into the ratings and it's on one through five rating for this one five is you loved it it tickled your tummy feathers four you really liked it three liked it two didn't like it and one you hated it it ruffled your tummy feathers. We're going to go back around and start with Jarrett. My tummy feathers are about pop, boys. This is a five all day long. <laughs> Sorry for the visual. Jason. I can't quite go as high as a five. I wish I could uh, and, uh, to see Jared's enthusiasm on this. But I'm at a four for a filler issue. Filler issue should not be fours. But this one is... Mm-hmm up there with the best of them and uh really enjoyed it for all the reasons we've talked about so i'll just wrap it up there and say four dylan i also think it's a four i i love jared's enthusiasm on it like he was raving about this book to me yesterday because i read it yesterday evening and he was like oh man it's great i'm not gonna spoil it's great i love it like but okay go ahead and read it i really love it it's great (laughs) okay (laughs) all right yeah that's his one And when I read it, like at the end of it, I definitely had that the warm tummy feathers feeling because it's like it was a good resolution to the story in a way that was not insulting to the fans. But it did put things back to status quo for J. Jonah Jameson and Spidey. So very well done story. And hey, if you have a filler that has a legend in the industry like Roger Stern and another legend in the industry like John Byrne, you, you did okay. Definitely. I'm going to be agreeing with you and Jason as well on this as it's a four, but I'm really like, oh man, I want to jump up there with Jared on that five. You can come to Five Island if you want. (laughs) Oh, Jared gets up now. (laughs) (laughs) Can't wait to see what you score the X Men. Yeah. That's what I'm wondering. I don't know. What makes me wonder too is what other story threads are out there for this that they need to finish up or at least wrap up. I don't know if there is. I don't think there are any right now. Like maybe the black cat. That's about it. Yeah. The black cat storyline still going on and where she's like, I love me some spotty. I'm crazy about them. But <laughs> yeah. I think that's, that's about it off of the top of my head. Because I think for me, the, the, 
the biggest question I have is what's going to be the resolution of Peter working at this other newspaper yeah, yeah. and coming back to the bugle. And I suspect ah, that there's something Jason, going on. There is. Remember, we have not seen who the publisher is yes, right. for uh, the, what is it? Globe? Daily Globe. Globe. Yeah. yeah. We haven't yeah. seen who that guy is. They've kept whomever that is a mystery. That's the one that's in, that's in the forefront of my mind right now. And the dangling thread that I have, in addition to the ones we've mentioned, is because I know they're coming back because I've read Spidey Comics forever. But like, I'd like to see the resolution and the repair of Ned and Betty's relationship. Hmm. That too. Mm-hmm. And Peter's. Who's he going to be sweetening on? And yeah, hey, he's going to marry Mary Jane in like 1988. Boom! I just ruined it for you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> There's and still then some time. There's still they're going to totally uh, never. You know what? We'll get there. When we get there. <laughs> well, so obviously there's some stuff still hanging out there. So maybe in the next few issues, those might get taken care of or we'll see. They might get dropped or whatever, but I, I'm interested to see. And I think with the artists and creators kind of changing around for a little bit, I'm interested to see what happens there as well, too. So. That's going to bring us to the end of this part of the show. You got a comment or a question? Send us an email at contact at longboxcrusade.com or make a comment on the Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook page. You can also leave us a voicemail that we just might play on the show. Leave us a message at 707-532-5269. That's 707-532-LBOX. Pick up the phone. We'll be right back. Three hundred thousand words, five thousand individual entries, four hundred fifty three pages, two hundred seventy one stories covered, eighty original illustrations. It all adds up to one book. The James Bond Lexicon. The unofficial guide to the worlds of James Bond in movies, novels, TV, and comics by Alan J. Porter and Jillian J. Porter. Now available from White Rocket Books and via your favorite online bookstore. For more information, visit the companion website at jamesbondlexicon.online or follow us on Twitter at bondlexicon. Welcome back from the break. Now let's get to the second featured comic for this episode, which is determined by our Crusader Club members. Club members get to vote on this segment using the online poll only available on the Longbox Crusade page at patreon.com. As always, we want to thank our Crusader Club members for voting to help determine the programming for this show. If you want to get in on the voting and all the other amazing benefits of being a Crusader Club member, just head on over to patreon.com and search for Longbox Crusade. You can join for as little as $1 a month and help determine which each episode's second feature will be. For this episode, the Crusader Club members selected Uncanny X-Men number 135. The credits for this issue are provided by Mike's Amazing World of Comics website. Publisher was Marvel, cover dated July 1980, but its on-sale date was April 15th, 1980. 
Cover price is 40 cents. Editor is Jim Salakrep. Writer is Chris S. Claremont. Plotter and penciler goes to John L. Byrne. Anchor is Terry Austin. Letterer is Tom Orzakowski. And colors is Bob Sharon. That can't be right. I guess. Yeah. Well, I maybe mean, Glennis had a day off or the month. Uh, who knows? We can give, get ready for the bleep button, Pat. We can give Bob the you didn't f- up award, I guess. <laughs> Way to stay in the lines award. <laughs> the I guess is good that, you know, but you're not Glennis. So, you know, mm. we're going to throw the award at you award. <laughs> Here's your f- award. Bob, yeah, Sharon. Sharon, this. <laughs> This <laughs> got dark. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. This is printed in Uncanny X Men trade paperback, Classic X Men number 41, Essential X Men volume 2, and Marvel Masterworks volume 40 of Uncanny X Men volume 5. Cover credits go to penciler John L. Byrne and inker Terry Austin. And speaking about the cover, let's get a cover description from Jared. The Marvel Comics Group banner, like the banners you can buy at Paragon Signworks over on North 15th Avenue, is red with black letters. The floating heads of Wolverine, Colossus, Storm, Cyclops, and Nightcrawler fill the orange corner box. And if it's floats you like, try McAlpine's Diner on North 7th Street. The X-Men logo is white with black highlights, and it's being crushed by a phoenix with a crazy look in her eye. And if you need your eyes checked, Urban Eye Care on North Central it's a great place to check out. So yeah, the main action is Phoenix in her red and yellow garb, as found at Maggie's Thrift on East McDonald Road, towering over the defeated X-Men. In fact, the cover blurb simply states, Defeated by Dark Phoenix. Valley of the Sun! All right, thank you, Jared. Phoenix, Arizona. Oh, yeah. Yes. Correct. Yeah. I looked uh-huh. up over all actual businesses. He Google mapped it or something. Yeah. Those are all real businesses in Phoenix, Arizona. So, hey, if you're listening in the Phoenix area, visit those businesses and ask them to maybe join our Crusaders Club for as little as a dollar a month because I just shouted out all those businesses in Phoenix right here on the podcast. And by the way, Valley of the Sun is the Phoenix City motto. There you go. I am Phoenix. With that, let's go ahead and get to some quick cover thoughts, and we will start with Delvin. Not bad. Clearly, the action is going to be on Dark Phoenix, and she is looking crazy. And I definitely like how they involved the logo and how it had her crushing something that was seemingly huge as well. They kind of had to add some of the other X-Men, and I actually don't know what they could have put for the background. It was very clear that the focus was on Dark Phoenix. So I think that was a mission very well accomplished. Jared, maybe if you have the inclination to uh, bring up the old color wheel and let us know if that green can coincide uh, with maybe that yellow and the dark red that was going on with the Phoenix's costume. Absolutely, Uh, sir. Green and red are contrasting colors, and they always do that nicely. Go ahead, dude. Keep talking. Oh, about the cover? I will. Yep, yep. This, to me, is a cover that you know it when you see it, because it's famous. It's a famous cover. Does that mean that it's Burns' best work? I don't think it is. I don't think it's his best work by far, but it gets some notoriety because of how recognizable it is. 
So yeah, overall, she looks crazy. Good job on the complimentary colors and the contrasting colors. And like Delvin said, it's all about crushing that X-Men logo. That's what makes the cover cool. If she ain't crushing that logo, this cover is downright kind of lame, to be honest with you. But that sells it. Yeah, it's hard to fight against a well-known cover like this. And Jason yeah. probably knows more about that than me, so let's let him talk. I think you nailed it. Maybe Byrne was busy uh, working on Spider-Man at the time of the cover. So I will give him A for creativity. It does a really good job of centerpiecing Phoenix as this new interstellar threat. And we'll get into the details of that a little bit more when we go into the book. But the cover really pulls that out. Obviously, she's just single-handedly defeated the X-Men with ease. And as a coup de grace, she's just crushing their logo right there on the cover, in your face. Is it the best work? No. It kind of lacks in details in the background. The way that the characters are kind of sprawled about the other X-Men that she's defeated, eh, it it doesn't look well thought out. It could have been more creative, I think. But it is a great cover. I will say... There are two covers in X-Men history that I can think about where the X-Men logo is being obliterated. It's this one, which is an iconic cover and the seminal issue. Yep, and Jared's got it. The other one is one that's not so much an iconic issue, but the cover I think is really great where Cyclops, he's fighting like this underwater beast and in desperation he's like blasting and he's shattering the x-men logo with his blast it's like close combat and the x-men logo is just caught up in the blast and to me that's a much more uh compelling and memorable cover than this so you know good effort iconic cover uh you know it's gonna score pretty high but probably not as high as it should have and i feel like i've run on too long and i should let pat talk i think you guys kind of covered it all pretty well here it's simply done and it's that logo getting crushed that really pulls it off here. And I think when cover artists do that and kind of pull that logo in, uh, cause you're so used to just it kind of being a static overlay of it. I like it when they do play with the colors of the logo sometime to help set the mood or, or offset what's going on in the background. Is this iconic because of the cover or is it iconic because of the storyline that's happening is the question. Do you know it? because of the the bigger story that's happening on the inside of it. And so this cover just kind of gets, you know, a, a pass or, or a, you know, a higher mark because of that story too. Well, and, and that's all right though. With that, why don't we go find out what we are going to rate this as a cover. And it's a one through five cover rating. Again, five is you loved it. It gave you a ring to swing on. Four, you really liked it. Three, liked it. Two, didn't like it, and one, you hated it. It turned you into a baby. (laughs) And you're never going to come back and make be an adult ever again and ever have your powers, ever. With that, Delvin, one through five. It's a four. Four? I mean, giant phoenix plus involving the logo and crushing. Very original idea, and it was well-colored. It's a four. Jason. Yeah, you summed it up best, Pat. Probably from a technical, artistic perspective, like we said, it's not Burns' best work, but this is a seminal book. So, you know, I would even consider putting it up on my wall just because it's so iconic to the X-Men lore. Mm-hmm. But it's not the greatest work, so I'm kind of fluctuating back and forth. So I'm going to land on a four as well. Jared? 
artistically, I like it at a three, but it will get bumped to four due to its uh, status. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not even a big X Men guy, and I've I'm at a yard sale and I see someone selling this comic for a dollar. <laughs> I can't get that Ooh, dollar yeah. out fast enough. <laughs> you know, immediately recognizable. If you don't have a dollar, be like, "Will you take my son?" Just straight <laughs> <laughs> up change. <laughs> I agree with you guys as well, too. It's hard for me to give it a high five on it. It is definitely a high four. So with that, boom, boom, like a boom, 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 like a boom, boom. Open the door. Get on the floor. Get on the floor. The silent sound. I want the dinosaur. All right. Well, with that cover description and rating out of the way, Let's get into the story synopsis from Jason. Cyclops, Storm, Banshee, Nightcrawler, Wolverine, Colossus, Children of the Atom, Students of Charles Xavier, Mutants, feared and hated by the world they have sworn to protect. These are the strangest heroes of all. These are the X-Men. Stanley presents the Uncanny X-Men. Okay, fellas, so I want to get a little creative with this. I want to mix it up a little bit. I was feeling my inner beat poetry going on. So, you know, just imagine we're sitting. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Popping. We're sitting there. We're having some drinks. We're sitting about in this dark room smoking some cigars. And I come up with this little poem. And it's called Dark Phoenix. The X-Men fight Phoenix in the opening act. They get their tails whooped, and that's a fact. Phoenix flies up into outer space. She eats the sun and kills off an entire race. She, our cruiser, enters the fray. Phoenix simply ups and blows them away. The captain's last thought is, what a witch. His last act is to Lelandra, he does snitch. Scott sits with his team and is feeling all hurt. Until he learns the gene is returning to have Earth for dessert. That's my thing. Thank you. Thank you. Groovy, man. Groovy. Just, I can dig that. I dig what you're selling Mm -hmm. there, man. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's go ahead and get to some bric-a-brac. Is a first read or a reread? And we'll start with Jared. Uh, first read. First read, Pat. Odd for a famous book. I would have thought I read this, but no. Didn't ring mm. any bells. First read. Jason? This is a first read for me as well. I oh. checked, and I did not have 136. Uh, so Or 135, sorry. I got 136, but not this one. So this was uh, this is a new one for me. Delvin? First read for me, Daddy-O. Sweetie. Nice. Wow. 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 It's a first read for me, too. That means, holy cow, we've done it. Double, Double rainbow. rainbow. Double hey, rainbow. Man. Hey, man. 
butterflies in the sky. I can fly twice. We don't need no music. That's a reading right. Wow. Double rainbows. Man, that's awesome. All right. Well, since we got the double rainbow out of the way, let's go into some high lows or wetas for this issue. And let's start with Jason. You got a high low or wetta? I'll start it off with a high. It opened in a cliffhanger, obviously. I'm I need to go back and read and find out how they ended up having the plane uh, pretty much destroyed around them. But once again, I enjoyed the teamwork of how they survived the fall. Uh, just Colossus realizing that he's got to get to the ground first to try maybe try to help catch anybody else. So he actually accelerates his fall. Uh, Kurt uses his teleportation and, and his acrobatic ability to survive the survive the fall. Storm is just forming a human chain catching folk as they're falling. So I thought that it was really kind of interesting. And then they have to gear up for battle. Uh, Storm's able to give them a little bit of a, a breather by using her powers to their utmost to create some separation between Phoenix and the team. But then, of course, it just Phoenix just lays waste to him. It's not even a not even a contest. So it was a pretty good opening act, I thought. Dolan? Yeah, whole issue was a table setter, but it was a pretty ominous and scary table setter because as well, I think it was Wolverine that mentioned, they were like a freaking popsicle stick in a in a tornado. They had no chance against Dark Phoenix at all. Period. VN. There was nothing there. I do want to add, I absolutely wanted to see what happened to Jason Wingard because clearly he was yeah. hospitalized. Uh, him and the big guy, I can't remember the big guy's name off the top of my head, Harry Leland. Leland. Leland, yeah. Yes. Leland was also hospitalized. So, I mean, that was a brutal battle. So, I'm, I'm interested in seeing what happened there. But just uh, keeping it to one point, yeah, it it's scary, the power that Dark Phoenix has. And it definitely kind of just brought... I mean, could, could you imagine even having that that level of power, what it would do to you? And it, it's just an overall interesting storyline, just period, because it was it is literally the worst case scenario that the X-Men could have possibly imagined. Or I should say not the X-Men, Professor Xavier could have imagined. And he kind of saw this coming. And he, he even admitted as much. And so he put those psychic blockers in place to sort of help Jean Grey along in case something like this would ever happen. It's not like he knew about the Phoenix, but he yeah. knew how immensely powerful Jean Grey really was. And now that she is completely uninhibited, plus this crazy alien thing, scary. A lot of just unlimited potential was revealed in this book. And it was it was intriguing to read. Do you guys think that the Phoenix let the X-Men live either because Gene or because underpowered at the moment? More of Gene than yeah. underpowered. There was more. She had more than enough. Or excuse me, the Dark Phoenix had more than enough to kill the X-Men. I think it was Gene that held held um held back uh, Phoenix back from killing the X-Men because I mean, keep in mind, you've got an Omega level mutant in storm and she literally blew 
Phoenix away, and Phoenix like <laughs> came back like three minutes later, like, no, nah, I'm, I'm still good. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that was the biggest punch that the X-Men could possibly even offer. Crazy. And then Colossus would probably be number two. And it's like, oh, you're just Peter Rasputin again. You're yeah. just normal Peter. You're not even carrying that anymore. heavy tree. <laughs> yeah, just insane amount of power. Yeah, hundred percent. I I agree. The only thing that saved the X Men in that situation was whatever tether Gene has left is what saved them at that moment. Jared, did you want to weigh in and then weigh in on the first round? <laughs> I actually literally had that thought while I was reading it because, well, let me lay out a couple, maybe a couple, three negatives for you from Jared's point of view. And then it'll tie into the question about what saved the X-Men. Okay, so from Jared's point of view, and I, if you guys don't know this, I'm not the biggest X-Men fan. The first, yeah, yeah, I know. The first thing that bothered me is Claremont's famous for wordy words, 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 and he couldn't quite give us an insight as to what happened last issue. <laughs> like, seems like really important. That's your fault, man. If you're not reading it, that's your fault. I don't agree. If it's that big and important, there needs to be some kind of a recap, like, Jason Wingard down, Leland down, X-Men shit blown up. Like, how? <laughs> they told you, if you want to know, go read these issues. <laughs> okay, fine. I'll give you that. Uh, complaint number two. You guys remember why I didn't like Proteus? Mm -hmm. Because he can do literally anything. Well, guess what, folks? (laughs) We're right back in that territory again. I'm like, does Chris know how to write any other villain besides the one that can do anything? And then I was kind of mad when she left. I was like, why did she just kill the X-Men? She has all the power in the world. nothing to stop her. But that's when I had that moment like, I think there's enough Gene in there holding it back. I'll cut him some slack on. There's enough gene holding back. Okay. Cousins like, but again, we're dealing with a, a villain that can do anything with their minds. Like, okay, yeah, we're retreading this ground again. And third, Chris, from the moment I've started reading him in this X-Men, it is clear to me that this dude loves Star Trek. He will do anything to get the X-Men out into space into Star Trek situations. He will do anything. And I just like the X-Men best when they're grounded on Earth. I don't like the whole cosmic angle. Like, I think Chris Claremont missed his bus. His bus was the green lantern bus. He loves the cosmic. He needs to be right in the cosmic, maybe Nova, but he will do anything to get these X-Men into space, into Star Trek adventures. And it's very clear to me that he loves Star Trek. You should probably skip about the next 15 issues. Yeah, I have. I have know what's coming. Like, And then, of course, you guys know the minute he mentioned, oh, back in issue, whatever, whatever, when Gene was inside the... the Crystal. I was like, oh, that's the, the one. The Impron Crystal, Jared. Yeah. The Impron like, Crystal. That's the one I didn't even finish. Oh, oh, I'm getting mad. I almost like it. All right. So there's all my negatives laid out in one round. That doesn't mean I hated this book, though. I finished it and I do have good things to say. Back to you, Pat. I want to add one thing. Please, please and, do. And the, only, the one thing that I will add is what I'm going to give Claremont credit for is. He didn't come out of anywhere with the whole Phoenix power thing, at least in that he had established it before. Uh, yeah, and yeah, this he, was he baked it. This was like, yeah, when we started reading X-Men, basically, or very shortly after, and that storyline where Gene, who at the time was a low-level telepath, and she bravely sacrificed herself 
to get the X-Men back from space to Earth for the first time. And that's when the Phoenix powers started to resurrect themselves. And so at least uh, give Claremont the credit that this has been about, what, three years, four years or so in the making, and that he didn't just go from, you know, she did the rescue and then they crash landed in the ocean. And then it was like, those Phoenix powers flare for a second and we got to see the potential, then it went away. And Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. slowly was brought up and it took a master manipulator to just completely bring them out. I wish we could have covered last uh, X-Men, even though I think, what what did he do? The Flash? The Flash was good. (laughs) The Flash was good too. So, I mean, so there were some good comic books going on right now, gents, but that I at least wanted to add that, that Claremont did establish that power level. I will give him all the credit in the world for that. That he did the the slow burn. I think there's a pun in there somewhere. I don't know, but (laughs) he did the slow burn build with Phoenix, and I will give him credit for that. One decision I would have made differently, and maybe he would in hindsight too, is don't make the villain they square off against right before Phoenix shows up, Proteus, because they're too similar. Or or it's it's the same beats again. Oh, they can do anything. You turn a tree into gold, and and, you know it's like. Stop giving me the same villain beat is is the one thing I would change. But I do give him credit for the long haul of, of I think as soon as he got that book, I think he said, this is an untapped character. We've seen it happen like with um, Sue Storm. Like she was, oh, the invisible woman. And then some writers have said, you realize how powerful she is? How insanely powerful <laughs> Sue Storm is? Yeah. And, and I like that fact of it. So again, it's not going to be all negative. Do you think if the buildup to this and all that and then... Her going out to space right away. Is that what kind of threw you? It did like help. too much. Yeah, it, it was too much. Like I said, I, I've noticed this trend with Claremont. And I'm not even joking when I said he clearly loves Star Trek. Like I can tell he loves Star Trek. There's he wrote a Star Trek X-Men crossover. There you go. <laughs> like I can tell by the language he uses, he's a Star Trek guy. And it's like he will do anything to get them to space. So yes, Pat, I do think it was the one-two punch of here we have another. OP villain, and now we have him going to space again. And I think yeah. it was just a little too much for me at once. Not the biggest fan of cosmic books either, so that doesn't help. You gotta open your mind. Yeah, I know. Possibilities yeah. Do you want me to read the synopsis again? Do we need another poetry beat? <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, again, let's get another round going, because I want to yeah. say good things. I want to say good things. I'm going to touch on the artwork on here. Just phenomenal again. You got burn. Crazy good throughout this one. And with all that's happening, it definitely tells you the story through the pictures as well, too. Not only through Claremont's writing, but the pictures help it sail along with this one. Delvin, you got another high-low or what the? I'm actually out of comments. I think we covered most of the story. and It it was kind of a long story, but it was cut and dried up. But I'll talk a little bit more just about the play setting of it. You know that, and Claremont has done this before. It is a big story because it covered so many. You brought, you got the beast that came in from Mm -hmm. the Avengers. You got Angel from one side with Professor X. Then you had Lalandra in, and then like the and then the Shi'ar ship that came. So there are pretty much anything that he has has access to in his X universe. He is bringing in 
for this foe. And the last time he did that, like I think it was the Proteus thing. I mean, it shows just how immensely powerful this foe is that in order to even have it come to a plausible end, you're going to need to bring in everybody to solve this. So it was interesting just to see how many different people uh, that Claremont and Byrne pulled in to begin this storyline, or I should say to bring this storyline to its to its ending. That's a good place to stop. To include my man, Dr. Corbeau, back again, getting a couple yeah, of panels right. of love. I was wondering, I was like, right. is Corbeau, where was he? Corbeau. I'm like, man, that guy's got... He's, he's got the most interesting character that I, they don't give me anything on. I'm like, this guy's living a life, man. I need to know more. Yeah, that, that dude is the most interesting man in the world. He doesn't have any powers, yeah. but he has an F ton of money, son. Good grief. Like, What's he doing in space? Where was he before? And I don't know, man. He's, he's all Jeff Bezos up there and everything. <laughs> he's must He's gone full Elon. <laughs> but you're right, Delvin. They bring in Fantastic Four. You got Reed and you got Strange. You got Spider-Man. And am I missing anybody else that they brought in? They brought in Silver like Surfer. Silver Surfer. Yeah, Silver Surfer too to, to go, wow, this is getting cosmic level a happening here. So Yeah, like it was so big, big it, it grabbed the entire notice of the entire Marvel Universe. And yeah, I just want to piggyback because I was going to move be my yeah. this round but go ahead no i just absolutely agree with you that they did a good job of saying hey this is so big everyone's noticing mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of cool Definitely. not my turn jason you got a high low what the i'm gonna go with a high again i want to address you know jared's point about proteus being so close to phoenix that's a fair point one that i hadn't really considered before but i think with the passage of time, when I look back on these stories, it's about tragedy and family are the themes, both with Proteus and with Phoenix. In this case, as Delvin has pointed out, they're bringing everybody back. Beast has become, at this point in time, a storied men- member of the Avengers, and he is having the time of his life with the Avengers. He's a hero. He loves being a hero. And They allude to it in this book, but at the time, the Avengers received a call to go and fight the X-Men, and he deleted that call because at the end, they were his family. And this is where he starts to go back because he realizes he can't turn his back on his family. And they kind of set it up that Beast is going to be a critical point in the upcoming battle. You've got Charles coming back to the team, you know, and honestly, I don't know how I feel about that because... Charles sometimes hurts as much as he helps. His heart's mm-hmm. in the right place, but mm-hmm. sometimes he's too smart for his own good. And he's part of the reason why we're in this predicament right now. Mm-hmm. And- uh, can I say something real quick, Jason? I remember reading like later because they will revisit this in X history. Uh, Charles Xavier has a lot of, you, I mean, you know the saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? Mm-hmm. Let's just say Chuck is... <laughs> <laughs> And a lot of pain. He is on his road to hell because he had some good intentions, but man, he f- a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. You think being able to read no, somebody's right. mind, he would know what the mistakes he's made. Man, <laughs> whoo, Chuck boy, he made. I mean, and when he makes mistakes, he makes them big. He makes them big, big. But that's the thing I love about this book too is that there are mistakes that are made. And what we saw in this book, we just 
read it for the first time. I think all of us read it for the first time. But the effects of this book are going to carry over today. Today. Because Jean Grey just murdered 5 billion people. There's nothing that's going to change that. And we're going to see the the immediate consequences unfold. And as a family, how they deal with it. And as a family, how they have to make choices. Is she a villain? Is she still Jean? She's been one of us. How are we going to approach this? And it's going to take a toll on every one of them. And it's tragic. And it's joyful. I mean, it's just really emotional. So that's my long-winded appeal to say, I get it. The villains are, are powerful. They're very powerful. That's not ultimately the point. I would encourage folks to go forward reading this from here, thinking of this as like, this is a family dealing with a family emergency right now. And it's a, it's a bit of a soap opera. There's a lot of action, but there is a lot of drama coming. So I'll leave it at that. That's a little soapbox. I, I want to add a little bit more to that too, because Jason just brought up some good points. And to keep in mind, because I mentioned this before, keep in mind, Jean Grey, before Claremont Byrne, when she was, it was about a, you know, eight, nine years of continuity. And Jean Grey was a low level telepath. She wasn't that powerful. She was. Yeah. Can you tell what I'm thinking, Gene? Make you a sandwich? You got it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she she was ordinary, basically, and she often needed protecting. And so which kind of, of course, endeared her to a team. She had four other boys on the team. At least three of them doted on her like crazy. Iceman did. Warren Worthington did. And of course, Cyclops did. So it made it all the more pointed that she's the one that just went insane with this power. Could you imagine like the person that like kind of went crazy was Wolverine? Would anyone be that surprised? Because he was a loose cannon. It's like, oh yeah, you know, crazy short dude with the claws. Yeah, oh, he went crazy. Ooh. It was such an interesting juxtaposition of basically mild-mannered Jean Grey now becoming the X-Men's version of the Incredible Hulk. Really, really interesting how they did it. I agree with that. I think what's also interesting as Jarrett kind of compares this to Proteus, but Proteus didn't just wipe out a whole world. So you're putting Gene at this crazy evil. She just wiped out and they give you like panels of, well, the people on the, that were sleeping, they're the lucky one. You know, it's like, Whoa, this is deep to make it out to be this. This girl is crazy. And is it her? Is it the Phoenix? It's, it's what's going on. That's a really good point, Pat, because they could have just shown her blow up the sun and the and blow up the planet. But in a few panels, they got you to know that race and know those people. And mm-hmm. you really feel it when they're yeah. all gone in blink of an eye. Jerk. That book is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. You sat here patiently as we geeked out. What do you mm-hmm, I did. I was like, mm-hmm, yeah, it's fascinating. Hmm. Excellent point. Oh, this book's dumb. No, <laughs> um, it's not. It's not dumb. Here, here's why I feel bad for this book and its relationship with me. Godfather. I've never seen Godfather. I tweeted about it the other day. All kinds of people jump. Oh, you see the Godfather? Greatest movie ever made. Greatest movie ever made. And I'm afraid to watch Godfather because I'm like, it can't possibly live up to what everybody said. 
Let's talk about Delvin and Star Wars. <laughs> How about I ask Jason on a scale of one to ten? Star Wars. Ten. Pat, one to ten. Star Wars. <laughs> ten. Ten. There's no possible way it's going to live up to that because Delvin's never seen it. He's going to sit down and watch it and be like, eh, it's okay. But it's not a, It's not everything that it's been built to be. I very recently watched, uh, because everybody, oh, you got to see uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. It's the funniest thing ever. You got to see Porky's. It's the funniest thing ever. So I watched those two movies and I wasn't entertained terribly by either one. I don't think they're bad. But it's just like, it, it just can't be what people have built it up over all these years. And this is where that book is for me. It's just like Phoenix Saga. Phoenix Saga, like you... I don't read X-Men, but if you can't, he's like, Jared, what's the most famous story arc in X-Men? Phoenix Saga. I mean, it's that's what they did with the animated show back in the 90s. It's like, it is the core. They've they built movies around it in the movie cinematic universe. So I feel bad for it because I know that however many million people are in this can't be wrong. I know I'm in the minority and I, I pick on it and I, oh, you know, I don't like the cosmic stuff and I don't like the overpowered villains and but I'm also coming to it so late that it's not fair. I think if I read this live in 1980, it would mean more. Just like, you know, if we all lived in the same neighborhood, we were kids and Delvin came over and watched Star Wars with us. He'd love it as much as we do right now, but it's mm-hmm. not going to happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen. And that's well, where I, I think to be fair too. I mean, I think for those of us who do love it and I kind of using your Star Wars analogy, we kind of talked about Raiders even. Because I told you, there's 10-year-old Jason that wants to score Raiders one way and 51-year-old Jason that wants to score the the other. And it's similar to this. I think back on this as a from when I was a kid. And in my mind, my adult mind, I'm remembering all the really cool, good, artistic moments out of it. And now that I'm going back through it, I'm reading it. And I'm, I'll, you know, I'll admit there's some dry spells in the book. And Jared, you bring up a valid point, you know, as far as having an overpowered villain and then having another overpowered villain, maybe the pacing of that wasn't the greatest choice. So I think you bring a perspective here that's actually helpful. You know, if we're going to actually critique the book and, and give it a score, we've got two sides on it here. One that's looking at it very objectively for the first time. And then there's several of us who have read it and in our minds, we have cherry picked the story, all the really cool, iconic moments. Uh, and as we're going back reading it, you know, to me, I'm like, it's still really good. But it's like, yeah, OK, I can kind of see Jared's point as we're, we're going through here. You don't encourage me, but I, pre- <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate your words. I'm not going to tear this book down. I'm just kind of that, that was my best analogy to kind of explain. This is Delvin Star Wars or my Godfather. Like, I'm almost at the point where I refuse to watch Godfather because I just know I'm going to watch it and be like, okay. (laughs) You know, like, it just can't be what it's been built to be. So it's like the family guy thing. It insists upon it. (laughs) What does that mean? What What does that mean? (laughs) But so I do get what you're saying. I, 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 I honestly do. So I'll offer this advice. Block out all the noise of it and just... Read it as a comic book and just leave it alone. That's what and, I'm trying to do. And, and just and just go from there. And yep, uh, very well aware that you know the people who are going to listen to this are going to have their love and affectation, but it's going to be exactly like you said because they remember reading this coming up and know how seminal it is to X history so much so that a lot of that history is still in the book today, as Jason said. But you don't have that, Jared. And so it actually is very unfair to just lump it on you 
like that or to anyone listening to this podcast who hasn't read Uncanny X-Men and they don't have the history, just go back. And I would say that to you too, not just to Jared. Go back and read it and just read it as a comic book. And if you enjoy the buildup and stuff like that, that is awesome. And if you don't, guess what? That part wasn't for you, but it's okay. It's still a part of lore. And it honestly doesn't make you wrong necessarily about it. It would just be your opinion on it. And that's something I, I truly do believe because it's already canon. You know, it's already canon. It's already legendary, just much like Star Wars is legendary. I would be a fool to sit there and say, oh, Star Wars isn't legendary. Of course it is. It's inspired generations of ideas. And who knows what else is going to come. And there's so many people who have cited Star Wars as like their inspiration for all sorts of projects, not even science fiction based. It was that seminal. I just happened to look at it, you know, a little bit. I was like, okay, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> you know, it, it, it it's just one of those things. I, it just was one of those things that I happened to be late to. Yeah, it, it happened. And I'm late to this. And mm-hmm. I, I will absolutely say Chris Claremont's a creative genius. I'll absolutely say that John Byrne and Dave Cocker before him. I mean, gosh, what a one-two punch. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I give the book a hard time, but I, I respect its place in history. I want to make that clear. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think you, you come off totally that way and. It's not your cup of tea, but maybe somebody else's. And that's all right. That's what's uh, great about going through these and, and figuring out what we like, what we don't like, and getting a fresher perspective on it. So I appreciate that. I think the real question is, getting back to the book itself, the real question is, now that she's gone, I assume Colossus can meddle up again and be strong. They got to steal that tree. I mean, come on. <laughs> tree is worth millions of dollars (laughs) (laughs) they they even mentioned it to where they're like they can you can like oh yeah they did can fund yeah yeah you gotta thank (laughs) professor x and like to me my x-men that tree tree. we need a new plane we need a new freaking plane of course warren's like i could take or leave the tree (laughs) (laughs) pass the marmalade Then you got what's his name up in space going, hey, yeah, that's more. I wanted that tree too because that could oh, buy me another freaking Corbu or Corbu. Yeah, I love yeah. that guy. Corbu. Yeah, he just shows up like at the most random time and in space too. Like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. uh, all right. Well, I think we've talked enough about this one. Unless anybody has any other stuff they want to talk about which it doesn't seem like, but we still have one more thing to talk about real quick. And let's find out who went the extra mile for this issue. Jason, who's your extra mile? Well, in terms of distance, it'd have to be Phoenix. (laughs) She she went a lot of miles. (laughs) I'm going to go with beast. Number one, he's kept the Avengers off their, off the X-Men's case. Uh, He's sacrificed his relationship with the Avengers to come back to the family. And he's back. And uh, it's hinting he's going to play a pivotal role in the upcoming battle with the Phoenix. So, Jared? Senator Kelly, I like the cut of his jib. I think he seems like a real nice guy. <laughs> he's going places. He's, he's, like, he's, going places. Like he's got happening. a charm about him that's undeniable. All right. I'm going to cheat a little bit, and I'm going to give the extra mile to one of the creative team members. I'm giving it to Burn because as mm. much crap as I gave Claremont about taking him into space the first chance he gets, man... Gosh, is that not just showcase burns? I mean, look at those spacecrafts. Like, yeah. 
good God, this guy can draw anything. Like his fight scene was incredible. Then we go to space. You go like this. I guess that's kudos to the colorist too. Those star backgrounds and the plants. Like it is a gorgeous book. So I'm going to eat a little bit and give it to, to, to burn and Austin. And even though it wasn't Glennis, Bob Sharon, it just looks good. It looks so we're calling him Glennis. His okay. name is Glennis. <laughs> B team Glennis, but Glennis, but Glennis. <laughs> I, it's an incredible looking book. So I know it's a bit of a cop out. You know, if you forced me to pick a character, I, I probably like Jason. I think think Beast really stood up a little bit on this one, but that's how I'm going. Delvin? Jared, just imagine you're a story creator, right? And you have this idea and you're not really an artist, but you just have this great idea in your head about the story that you want to develop and to get out to the masses and then he's like, man, if I just had an artist that could encapsulate all of this stuff. And then they pop out this stuff. And he's like, oh, oh, my God, this is it. This, this is it. This is freaking crazy. So, yeah, I could only imagine like that Claremont had to be just, you know, over the moon to find someone like John Byrne. Like that had to just be a crazy, crazy coincidence because, heck, there wasn't any Internet. <laughs> back in the day, you know, like he just had to, they just had to find each other. So that was crazy. Anyway, extra mile. I, I'm going to give it to Storm because I just, I love her humanity. And I could probably say that in literally any issues that she's in. And I love mm-hmm. her so much in that, like, <sighs> I mean, they, they made a few alterations to the character a little bit, but if Chris Claremont passed away tomorrow and for some reason like everyone decided to take a big dump on the x-men which they haven't done and probably can't do but he could always he can rest in peace and say i i created aurora monroe i created storm i did okay because she's just so pure like i mean you've got this primal force that has taken over one of your dearest friends and you're still like i don't want to do anything to harm her i i want to do everything i can to still try and protect her crazy i love aurora she's awesome i love the aurora journey by the way i I love watching her go from this to the leader mohawk arrows Mm -hmm. maybe my favorite her journey is really compelling and claremont takes her all the way on that journey full credit to best leader the x-men never had good points all around i am gonna go with colossus on this i like wait wait um, wait 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 wait. (laughs) right Right. going with who Colossus. Colossus. I, I don't know who this guy is. There he goes. <laughs> you say Colossus, I say Colossus, whatever. Let's call the whole thing up. Yeah. Sepantor, Sepantor, whatever. You know what I mean. The metal guy. I like him. I think, you know, he did his best part in the beginning here as doing whatever he could for the team. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, metal up and I'm going to hit the ground and I'm going to try to save everybody with do what I can here. So, and you guys picked a, a lot of the other good things about this one as well, too. So I think with that, let's get into the ratings for this issue. And it's a one through five rating five as you loved it. It gave you a ring to swing from four really liked it. Three liked it Two didn't like it. And one, you hated it. It turned you into the baby. Jared, start us off here. Oh, the pressure. You made me go first. You made me go first. All right. As everybody on the show knows, you can take any normal person and add one to my score to get a normal person (laughs) score. So again, 
from Jared. This is a very solid three. I like it just fine. It's teetering on the edge of four. If we hadn't gone to space and if we hadn't got two overpowered villains back to back, I think I could have hit four. Mm. I'm at a three. I know that's low for an iconic storyline. Send your hate voicemails to 707-532-5269 and I will, I will tell you. <laughs> but, uh, but seriously, folks, I can fully admit that a three from me, as I think we're going to find out, is worth more to everybody else. So let's find out. Jason? In fairness, I think if I were going to score the actual story, it would be about a three level. There's a lot of setting up here, a lot of dialogue. Pacing was a little slow in places. But again, because I know what they're setting up here, kind of similar to what I said about the cover, you've kind of got to give it that four because you know the journey. For those of us that have read it before, know the journey that it's on. So. Understand Jared's three, very understandable. I'm going to land on a four for me. Delvin? I'm with Jason. It's a very strong four, and I want to see what's next. I Issue by issue, what's next. I know how it ends, mm-hmm. but I want to see issue by issue the buildup as yeah. to what's next because they set the table, and it's a mighty fine table, so I can't wait to sit down and uh, get me some turkey and some dressing and some good old gravy. So what do you got, Pat? I'm with you guys at a high four on this one, too. I didn't get to the point to where I loved it. I thought, you know, some over-explanation was going on. And um, I did feel a little lost in the beginning as well, too, because I really wanted to know what happened before that we kind of left off Stop letting the voters choose, man. (laughs) Let's go (laughs) X-Men. I think we read Captain America last time. We read Captain America last time. That was a good issue. But it was a good cap. Yeah, Yeah, voters picked well. Who knows? Maybe we'll do something where where we visit some of these issues that we missed. So people that like what we're doing here with the X-Men can get a taste of our thoughts on that. Maybe Jared will join us. Maybe he won't. We'll see. I am interested enough to be willing to join that. I, I want to be clear about that. Even though this yeah. isn't like as exciting to me as Spidey, like I definitely have the same question you, Pat. Like, yeah. how do you come to terms with the fact that you destroyed an entire planet of living, breathing beings? Like, I gotta know how you reconcile that because that is bad. And not and not even one in like self-defense. It was like, yeah, I'm hungry, so I'm yeah. gonna eat your son. Yeah. It was jacked up. <laughs> so definitely a high four. Looking forward to more on this. Uh, and like Delvin that said, I want to just slowly, you know, take this meal in and enjoy it. Definitely is the way I'm feeling too. Good take on that, Delvin. I'm in on that. I'm in for the ride. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so you got to see that to table. I'm coming. I haven't yeah. missed a meal it just yet. Maybe we might be say, hey, Jared, do you want these? Yams, and you'll be going like, eh, I'm going to pass on the game a little bit. But <laughs> the I'm... only time you guys passed me the broccoli plate was when <laughs> <was that> <laughs> I quit on the, the Imcron crystal. I just like, I just can't. Yeah, do it I, don't, I don't need the broccoli. I can't plate. do it anymore. <laughs> Past potatoes, I can't eat any more broccoli. <laughs> so remember, Daffy Duck comic book for the love of God. <laughs> so remember, Crusader Club members, if you want this feast to continue, please vote. Oh, you never know. There was a lot of good. There's a lot of good comics at this time coming up. So mm-hmm. it's a tough vote for the Crusader Club members, and which mm-hmm. is great that we let them choose that. And I think it's very good. And we wouldn't have read some of the the great issues we've read from what they've chosen so far. You know, the Flash and mm-hmm. the Captain America one. Just boy, good times this time. 
And with that, that's going to bring us to an end of this part of the show. You got a comment or a question, send us an email at contact at lawboxcrusade.com or make a comment on the Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook page. You can also leave us a voicemail that we just might play on the show. Leave it at 707-532-5269. That's 707-532-LBOX. Leave Jared alone. Call Jared. Tell him. Shut up about it. We'll be right back. The Incredible Hulk and the Twins of Evil. In a mind-boggling attempt to destroy the Green Goliath, the Abomination and Wendigo join forces. Alone I can fight you to a standstill. Together we can render you helpless. Hulk only wants to fight fair. The deadly duel leave the Hulk defeated. But suddenly... It's the Hulk. Keep away. Hulk no like people. It's okay, Hulk. We'll help you. You got to have something to eat, Hulk. Here, have a hostess fruit pie. Hostess fruit pie? You'll like the real fruit filling. And how about that light, flaky crust? Hulk happy now. Hulk thanks, boys. The green gargantuan crashes off into the forest. I'm glad we had Hostess Fruit Pies to share with the Hulk. He ate them all. Apple, women, and cherry. In a strange way, I think he knows we're his friends. Now Hulk, take care of unfinished business. You get a big delight in every bite of Hostess Fruit Pies. Welcome back from the break. Now let's get to the feedback part of the show where we share your comments, emails, questions, likes, and shares in a segment called Crusader Comments. We are thrilled to kick off these comments with special shout outs to our Crusaders Club members. These are the fine folks that have joined our crusade. They enjoy early access to special long box episodes, voting to help determine show content, and so much more. So these are the folks reaping the benefits and giving some much appreciated support to the show. And Helica Wolf. Auburn Elvis. Bill Blair. Blast it or stash it. Raxton Underwood. First Lieutenant Entropy. What? You got promoted. Captain Entropy. Clinton Robinson. Dave Collins. Gary V. Gene Hendricks. Gerald Green. Jason, possibly Albrecht, but but King. It, it reads Jason King. Mm-hmm. Jeremy L. Jim Jarman, Jim Jarman, Jim Jarman, Jim Jarman. I hope you like Jim Jarman, too. With a little Joe Thomas. John Watson. Josh Strickland. Candace Ward. MVP, Kathy Bright. Mark Ross. Maxwell Traver. Michael Wagner. Miranda W. P.D. Devins. Paul Hick. Rick. Jeff and Rick present. Rob Morgan. Ross Show. Ryan Daly. Samantha Maine. Sean Urbanski. Spidey67. He crushes his enemies, Steve Cronin the Barbarian. Tim Price. Tony Pendleton. And finally, Toronto Cop. If we missed anyone on our list, we apologize. Keep in mind that we record these episodes well in advance of release, so if you're a recent addition, we should be adding you soon. But still, no worries. Just let us know that we missed you by sending an email to contact at longboxcrusade.com and we will get it straightened out. As a reminder, you can become a Crusaders Club member by heading over to patreon.com slash longboxcrusade. For as little as $1 a month, you'll get access to the amazing world of the Crusaders Club. Come check it out. Don't have any extra scratch lying around, but still want to help us out here at LBC headquarters? Please take a moment to write a review on iTunes for this podcast. Even if you just want to keep it short with just our ratings, it helps raise the profile of the show, and we will share your review on the next show. We are combining 
two shows, Crusader Chronicles episode 58 from December of 1979 and Crusader Chronicles episode 59 from January 1980. Aaron Head Moss. Aaron Todd. And Helica Fetty Wolf. Bill at Spy Vinyl. Billy Dunlevy. Carlos Rafael. Carmine Del Vecchio. Chris Lydon. Chris Sheehan. Chris at BTO at Bat Books. For like six years we've been doing it. <laughs> Never gets old. Christopher Owlette. Clinton Robeson. Coffee and comic. Comic flexions. Daniel Patton. David Holbrooks. Days of High Adventure Podcast. The Dame herself, Deborah Smith. Fan Film Fridays. <laughs> Frank Hussey. That's my comic book dealer. Is it? Yep. That's cool. Gene mm-hmm. Hendricks. James, or as we call him, Jimmy Mac 83. Jeffrey Fonzo. Hey. 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 Jeremy Spaulding. John Barber. I was going to say, never mess with a bald barber. <laughs> Got no respect for your hair. John Bowser. Johnny Torch. Creator of Bullets Bourbon Comics. Johnny Sigurd. Justin Steiner. Kathy Blueheart Peacock Orangeheart Bright. I thought that was broccoli. <laughs> it's a peacock. Oh, okay. Got it. <laughs> MVP and captivating. Ken Solo. The lovely Laurel Mountain Flower. Liz Ann Oswalt. Manuel Kenyette Mendoza. Martin Roach. Max Traver. Max. Ah. Pablo de Medellin. Patch Landers. Philip O. Prairie Justice. Rick Heineken. Saul Lerman. Steve Ulrich. Steve Satorio. Tim Price, the pod crasher. Tony Pennington. I didn't even ask for a beat, and they're giving me a beat. Jeez. Got a special about a sound. The power pack. There you go. Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of the Power Pack. There we go. Good beat, guys. Bernard Jeffries. Victor Escobar. And we'll finish it off with Wolf Bundick. Oh. Wolf Bundick? That has Bundick. to be made off. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we have some social media comments. We will start with Crusader Chronicles episode 58. And Tim M. Ethan Price said, sorry I'm behind on my podcast listening. Just got to this one first and flash his civilian name is Eobard Thawne, and his complete villain name is Professor Zoom, the Reverse Flash, showing his greatest crime is claiming a title he did not earn. Second, woo-ha! I remember that was from. That was from the Buster Rhymes cover description that Jared gave. And hey, uh, Professor Zoom was just following in the footsteps um, centuries ago of Dr. J, Julius Urban, who also was not a real doctor. Hmm. Tim continues and says... Third, need more mercy bullets. Then continues and says he keeps them in his mercy battle wagon right next to the mercy Bowie knife and his copy of How to Mercy Next Snap Fool. I, I think he may have been laying it on pretty thick there, but it was funny. It was funny. Give him credit for that. Now we will get to come. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jared. How thick? 
Ah. <laughs> we will now get to comments on Crusader Chronicles episode 59. I'm going to go with the Hammer Strikes randomly geeky stuff. He says, hmm, Lightmaster, where have I heard that name in connection to Spider-Man before? Oh, yeah, when Spidey teamed up with the greatest Marvel character ever. And then he provides a picture of Marvel team up Spider-Man and Quasar. So I think he's implying that Quasar is the greatest Marvel character ever. Oh, you could. He could he could imply, but he wrong. Yeah, he wrong. It's clearly Spider Man. Guys, 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 we all oh, have sorry. Ever, there's Mom. room for everyone's favorite character, especially if it's Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we uh, just uh, we got one. You guys might need to explain this one to me. We got one from Captivating Kathy Bright, the EVP, and it's basically a wide-eyed emoji, laughing emoji, hashtag outtakes, and it's like this kid just like porking out on Arby's sandwiches. Like, did we talk about Arby's, or does anybody remember how this came up in the outtake? I was wondering too. I yeah, stared at it for a minute. I was tempted to take it. We, we're talking about. I think at the end, somebody mentions Arby's, and then. Jason and I start talking about how we like roast beefs with the Arby sauce and mm, different stuff like that. That's yeah, good. Good. <laughs> I think we ended the outtakes with that. Oh, okay. All right. While we're talking about outtakes, kudos to the one you put together, Pat, with the uh, the, the sexy pick up the phone. Oh. <laughs> that you made of us. That was very funny. I do remember the, the, the Arby's talk now that you mentioned it. So, yeah, we, <laughs> we got an Arby's gift from Kath. I will take one from James. And James says, always thought the Hellfire Club had a keen fashion sense. And you know what, James? You're right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what really surprised me in uh-huh. this issue of X-Men that we read. Shaw's got a shirt on mm, and a jacket. True. It's like, yeah. come on, man. Why are you wearing a shirt? Well, he wasn't in the club. When he's in the club, he can be himself, free and uh, shirtless mm, and all mm, mutiny and everything. Mm, he was mm, trying to act like a respectable mm, businessman. Mm, mm, I dig mm, it. Follow mm, mm, mm. me in the club. There you go. Okay. I got it. I picked it up. I got the show. I'm trying to add production value without getting us a copyright strike. <laughs> All right, I'll read one from Coffee and Comics, who says, as much as I love Dazzler, I should really be more upset over those numbers. But I've read this issue, and you guys really aren't wrong here, other than Dazzler is wonderful, and she definitely should get that duet with MJ. Oop, no, mm -mm, no. no, (laughs) We should get to the show closing. (laughs) (laughs) There's one more comment as well from Unpacking the Power of the Power Pack, Power Pack, Power of Stop, that says, this is getting into the meat of the best X-Men. Glad you gave this the five rating it deserves. Thanks to everyone for the likes, shares, follows, and comments. We appreciate your friendship and help in spreading the word about this podcast. And that's the show. Be sure to check out the website, longboxcrusaderchronicles.blogspot.com, where posts will be made for journaling this crusade. I want to thank Jared, Jason, and Delvin for joining me on this episode. But before we go, let's find out where the listeners can find us on the internet. Delvin, we'll start with you. You can find me on Twitter at D-E-E underscore R-A-Y 1977. Jason. You can find me at Weasel Skull on Twitter or at Jason Albrick on Facebook and Instagram. Jared. You can find me at Yard Sale Artist. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's all at Yard Sale Artist. You can check out my wares at www.theyardsaleartist.com. And if you love the X-Men as much as I do... I do offer a Cyclops one and a Wolverine piece. I will cash in on those fools as quick as you can imagine. <laughs> That's right. They make money. They make money. <laughs> Pat. 
Well, Jared, I'm glad you asked. You can find me on the Twitter at Christatos01. And if you want to interact with us via live chat and be entered to win some free stuff on our live raffles, join us on our next episode of Doing It Live Stream on YouTube. And that's the second Sunday of every month at 3.30 p.m. Central Time. Check out Longbox Crusade on YouTube and please subscribe to our channel and click the bell so you'll get notification reminders of when we go live and all the extra stuff that we are putting out on the YouTube now. Tell your friends, tell your sister and your mama too that you're about to to subscribe and you know just what to do. So thank you for listening and we hope you have enjoyed this episode of Crusader Chronicles. You got a comment or a question, email us at contact at longboxcrusade.com or leave a comment on the Longbox Crusade Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter page, all at Longbox Crusade. Until next time, take care and please join us on the next episode as we continue on the crusade to The intro music for Crusader Chronicles is provided by musical genius Joe November. Check out his SoundCloud at J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-9-9. You won't regret it. All songs, song clips, and characters discussed are copyright of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. We are just fans that like to share our love of comics. Outtakes. Your podcasting skills are better than your jujitsu skills, Delvin. <laughs> what? Jujitsu. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, jujitsu. <laughs> jitsu. All right. Delvin, your podcasting skills are better than your jujitsu. <laughs> you know what? I set you up for failure. I should have I used you a mic. in my line. Jujitsu. <laughs> jujitsu. All right. I got to say it slowly. <laughs> you know You know what? Should, should we switch lines? Hold up. Switch. Say fighting skills. Or you can say self-defense skills. Yeah. <laughs> that works. All right. Jared. What? Was it something I did? <laughs> Alternate take. Did I do that? <laughs> <laughs> Bringing back some old. <laughs> it's a miracle going on in here. Oh, man. Throat. I hope I've been sick for like over a week. Oh, what a party like us. Let me hear you say Oh, man. Down mute. I can't. Tim, mother price. I'm just kidding. I want to watch Pat's face. <laughs> Tim Price, Tony, motherfucking Patty Tan. <laughs> winner, winner, well done. Need help? That's you. Oh, I need help. <laughs> I know this one. Uh, we stay on he, me, he just gave me. you some help, Jared. <laughs> coach me, Pat. I want to know what you. What, what, Manuel Kenyette Mendoza. Oh, yes. What? We said this one a lot. All right, I got it. here. We go. I'm sorry. I thought for some reason I thought it was Pat's turn. Manuel Kenyette Mendoza. I think I see hard names and just assume it's Pat's turn. Probably. <laughs> I always get the hard ones. Sal Lerman. Saul. Saul. 
What a sale? Mm-hmm. Saul. You said Sal. Sal. No, you. All right. Tim, mother <laughs> <laughs> Tim Price, the podcrasher. Tony MF and Pennington. Or Tony Pennington. <laughs>